Welcome to the Cell Intel podcast, where we explore how single cell and spatial analysis methods are being adopted and are accelerating discoveries in life science research. Welcome to Cell Intel from 10X Genomics. We have a very special guest today, Olivia Cuse, Director of the Advanced Genomics Core Laboratory at the University of Michigan. And before we dive in with Liv, I want to just introduce some terms that are going to be really relevant to our discussion today. We have two terms in particular. One is CSP, which stands for Certified Service Provider. These are individual labs that have decided to take samples from multiple users, process them through the 10x genomics workflow, provide them their output data. So it's really a nice way to support introductory users to this technology. The other term is VEP, which stands for Visium Enablement Program. And this is another service provider model which allows for running samples on the Visium Spatial Gene Expression Solution. Now, Liv is a certified service provider for Visium. And Neil, do you want to go ahead and give us a quick rundown of her expertise? Absolutely. So Liv received a PhD in molecular genetics and biochemistry from Georgia State University in 2009 before moving to Washington University in St. Louis to the laboratory of Jean Oltz, where her postdoctoral research focused on epigenetic regulation of primary immune cells, B cells, T cells, ILCs, and immune cell cancers such as lymphoma and leukemia. From there, she moved to Vanderbilt University Medical Center to manage their advanced genomic and technology shared resource before taking over as managing director of the University of Michigan Advanced Genomics Corps in 2018. And I'm happy to say that I get to work with Liv uh, pretty much on a weekly basis and interact with her, and it's a fantastic group. So. Welcome, Liv. We're uh, very happy to have you. So why don't we start out, Liv, if you don't mind, and for people that are unfamiliar with how your core runs and your role as a Visium CSP, can you just tell us a little bit about what your role is and, and how your core interacts with customers? Absolutely. So the Advanced Genomics Core is a relatively large, sizable facility at the university. I believe right now we have 24 employees and another one joining us soon. So that'll make us 25. I will say that all things single cell spatial transcript omics in nature tend to be our, our heavy request services. So that I those 25 people, I have five dedicated people that are dealing with just taking in single cell suspensions or tissue blocks or slides, et cetera. So that's five dedicated employees just to be able to amass and handle the, the huge demand that we have for these services. We started out as a sequencing facility, Singer sequencing on up through NextGen to these more, what I would call advanced platforms that use sequencing as a readout. And as such, we've had to grow, we've had to adapt a lot to how we would take samples in. We're very used to taking in frozen things, frozen nucleic acids that we can leave in the freezer until at such time that it's you know, easy for us to turn around and start processing. And now we take live specimens. And so that's a little different. So that, that changed our model a lot. And so in the last, I would say three years or so, we've gone from taking, I don't know, a couple hundred samples 
annually to last year. It was a pandemic. We took over a thousand single cell samples and managed to get Visium um, spatial transcriptomics up and running. We had it started at the beginning of the pandemic and then we got shut down just like all the other core facilities and universities around the world. And But it came back. This has completely changed how we operate when it comes to having to have technicians on site and scheduled handoffs, etc. But also more from a project planning perspective. We spend a lot of time now in consultation with clients to, to make sure they're choosing the right platform, the right assays to answer their questions. And there's so many things you can add on now. And at what point do does uh, taking some of these things and doing a, a multimodal approach actually help the, the goal of their project? That's great. And University of Michigan, obviously, is very large, a great academic institution. What are some of the types of research that you're supporting with the, the 10X Genomic Solutions? The largest bolus of people that we have are Michigan Medicine, which means they're coming, basically specimens coming by way of the hospital to a large degree. So we get a lot of those projects. In fact, one of the only projects we came in for during the shutdown was a COVID-19 single cell project. That's very common for us to get the, the majority of our specimens that are coming from human or like a model organism type situation. Nevertheless, we are a large university and we can get totally random things. We've done a lot of plant uh, protoplast single cell RNA-seq. Our big thing right now is we're doing neural cell from multi-ohm projects. So we've been waiting, we're eagerly awaiting our first sequencing data for something along those lines. So we get a wide variety of things. We're not limited to just our OR samples, but we do get a lot of them through that mechanism. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, you've talked about enabling research within uh, University of Michigan itself. Do you take samples from outside of the university as well? Are you open to customers outside? And how do you handle that reaction? <laughs> interaction? <laughs> Absolutely. So... From a 10X perspective, we have two different workflows, single cell and Visium. Single cell, it's difficult at this point to take outside samples unless they're somewhat local. And you can be somewhat local in Ann Arbor. You can, University of Toledo, all the way, Wayne State. There's a lot of like local universities that can actually work with collaborators on campus or directly with our facility. But as far as being able to take things from further out, it's a little more difficult right now. Fixed cells is something that people ask for all the time. So that's going to be something that people are eagerly awaiting for. For Visium, it's slightly different, right? Because you can take, in fact, you're supposed to take frozen samples. We do take frozen blocks. We take slides. We found that shipping Visium slides around has not been problematic. They arrive safely on dry ice in our facility and we're able to process. Again, it's like at our convenience. We actually like that when the tissue comes in already placed on slides and it's frozen and we can put it directly in minus 80. And then when it's works with our schedule, the technician schedule, they can go in and start the process of staining and imaging. So a combination of the two right now, internal and external. Externals are easy, relatively easy to work with in the sense that they go through the same consultation project process. We do lots of talking to make sure everything's planned out well in advance. And then, you know, from a university perspective, uh, it's hard to deal with external administrative aspects, but we have a good process. And so typically that doesn't take that long to, to make sure that like, we're set up an event as a vendor in someone else's system, et cetera. And so it's typically not something that precludes people from working with us. And we do take samples, especially for Visium that are East Coast based. We've gone further into the Midwest. So we're taking things from all over for that particular platform. But again, it's because you can ship frozen. 
That's great. As my colleague Melissa mentioned, my co-host Melissa mentioned earlier, LivesCore is a CSP for Visium. And part of the CSP process is actually that the FAS or field application scientist that covers that region, happened to be me in this particular case, goes over the data that's being produced and certifies the based on performance and these sorts of things. And Liv, I know that early on you were open to trying new things, trying new sample types, even if it was on our list of maybe not quite yet supported, you you got into that. And the data's always looked great. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the tissue types that you've worked with on the Visium platform? Absolutely. We've typically been a little different than a lot of places that probably attacked Visium for some of the reasons you just said. So the the, there's a wide range of research being done on campus, and a lot of the people that were very interested in the product early in the process had some of the more difficult to work with tissues. And so we've actually done substantial work on skin, human skin, and n- normal skin all the way up through various disease types. We've done vein valves. That was something that was interesting because they're super tiny and you're like can they actually even cross spots in the capture area I, but we did we got it to work we do get we, we're starting to see a little more return to what i would call more typical things like the brain tissue and we've done glioblastoma human glioblastoma samples we're starting to see some let's see esophageal samples pancreatic samples there's really not a limit to what we're willing to try some do work much easier than others. Lymph nodes was one that was interesting because it, permeabilization of that can be difficult. And we've had people approach us with bone or dental tissue. And, and so then those we're sitting on for a little while. Adipose, we've done adipose tissue and fresh frozen. That's a project, that's a tissue type that would greatly benefit from this soon to launch FFPE solution because it tends to fall apart when you try to section it. So there's some challenges with some of the more difficult tissues and basically the client has to work with us and realize there might be some back and forth as we try to optimize how those the right conditions to work with those tissues, whether it's thicker sectioning because it's falling apart or trying to target permeabilization. Sometimes we found that for certain tissue types, even like three minutes is too much. And so we're mm-hmm. starting to back down. So it's not just going longer. Sometimes it's actually trying to shrink the time course a little bit. So you mentioned FFPE. And for those of you uh, listening who heard our episode with uh, James Chell, that we're going to be releasing Visium FFPE shortly. And can you tell us a little bit about what you're planning to do with that? If there's anything about that's particularly exciting to you? Absolutely. So FFPE, Physium, has been one of those things that people have been requesting, I would say, from about three weeks prior to the Fresh Frozen Visium launch. Okay, so they're eagerly awaiting a product that'll take care of FFPE because that's a huge stockpile of samples that people now have access to. That's how people have traditionally stored some of these tissue types. So we're definitely, there's a, a, a group of people waiting eagerly for our, our ship date to show up and we have reagents we can start processing. Some of this is because it's tissue that is more difficult to work with and some of it is just access to the tissues that they can get to and it's more um, amenable. There's some aspects to this this FFPE Visium solution, the pro-based applications there in the uh, ability to bypass that tissue optimization step because it it is supposed to be consistent. I'm trusting what I've heard in the webinars. (laughs) And then it is supposed to be consistent from tissue. And I think that actually 
makes the process a little easier inside the facility. It smooths out some of the, the issues that we have with trying to find those right times. Is it too long? Is it too short? Or can you just really not tell the difference between a six minute and a 12 minute? And sometimes that does happen. And so I think there's some, some potential there as far as getting a, a more kind of robust um, assay going inside the lab that's a little more routine and not having to worry quite so much with timing sometimes. Handoff of FFPE is a heck of a lot easier than a live sample or, or even a fresh frozen sample or something that's already been imaged that someone wants us to start immediately for, right? When they want to do their own imaging, which we prefer to do it ourselves because we can control the timing better of when everything gets accomplished inside the lab. But sometimes clients want to do their own sectioning or they want to do their own imaging or they decide to do IHC or or IF and so at the same time all of a sudden we have to tightly coordinate some of those steps and we're back to our single cell live cell handoff procedures and the ability to do the fresh the fresh frozen is good but the FFPE I think is going to actually bring a lot more customers our way. So you mentioned you've got a a fairly large group of of people in this core it's a substantially Mm -hmm. sized core and you brought on Visium very quickly and, and enabled it rapidly for UMish. Did you already have technicians that had specialty in histology, in doing cryostat slicing and things like that, or did they learn it specifically for this Visium assay? And, and how did you go about doing that? So I did not have technicians specifically trained already in things like histology. I, I do have some master's level and PhD technicians that are in the facility that were able to go in, break things down and remember things they had learned in grad school and and refresh themselves. At the same time, I actually expanded my workforce. I went out and hired someone that did have cryosectioning skills that, you know, had spent most of her career as in the working on histology. And so that's added a tremendous skill set to our facility that we just never thought we would need from a molecular genomics standpoint, because that's what we used to, that's what we always did. And we're still using those molecular skills, but this idea of needing someone that has an entirely separate set of skills to make it easier to coordinate the entire process has really changed how we operate, I think. Tell me a little bit about how a new user gets started with you and how do you deal with things like discussions around experimental design and all of these sorts of specs? So... All that changed a little bit last year with the pandemic, but the concept is the same. Typically things start with an email or we have a a consultation form that people can put in details instead of directly emailing. So something comes to us, phone calls are not a thing any longer. Typically things are all done via emails, consultation forms, or Zoom at this point. And then we can start with the basic conversations at that point. Some details that allows us to prepare a little bit for what the, the investigator is really going to try to do. So that we come to a meeting, at the, a virtual meeting at this point. We've actually found that the pandemic has helped facilitate some of these conversations because Zoom is very prevalent. And everyone now knows how to, to Zoom and share screens. And so these were meetings that used to take place in person. And at campuses, university campuses, especially things like UMish, we're very large. And trying to coordinate those meetings can be complicated because there's always someone going from one side of campus to the other, and then it just takes a lot of time. 
And so Zoom, I think, is here to stay when it comes to some of this consultation, project consultation and planning, when it comes to at least my facility, because it does really ease this process. And so typically we have an initial consultation meeting. Um, they normally take half an hour or so, where we try to get some details, set the investigator up, talk about options. Sometimes it's very basic of, of whatever the platform is, if it's Visium or Star, either one, what they can do what what the platform will allow you to actually conclude. Sometimes there's questions that the, the platform's not applicable for. And so we try to help them guide them through that process. If we decide at that point that like a Visium or say a, a multi-ohm single cell approach or single nuclei approach would be appropriate, then we start trying to get them the right information because there's a lot of due diligence that needs to happen on their side. As far as whether it's tissue handling or cell processing, there's a lot of decisions they need to make and a lot of planning that needs to go into optimizing their own setup before they can come to us. And then with their samples, I will also add that there's typically multiple meetings and multiple emails that go back and forth. For very new customers or customers that are maybe not familiar with even like genomics as a field, because this is, we're reaching more and more people that didn't normally come to the advanced genomics core for bulk RNA-seq or whole exome sequencing or something. We're reaching, we're reaching more labs that just aren't familiar with us. Sometimes it's when we ask Neil to, sh- to show up and, and, and talk with the client as well. And what we're trying to really do is, is educate on multiple kind of fronts at that point, what the platform does, what the readouts mean. So sometimes we ask for additional support from our field application um, specialist. And then at that point, there's typically some trial runs that we, we recommend a client do, you know, work out their conditions. Sometimes it's different media or different transport conditions. It's a large campus again. And so even if it's something that needs to come across campus on dry ice, you need to make sure that they can get here, find us. Again, the pandemic changed everything. They can no longer get into our building. So we have to, we we offer like curbside pickup. So a technician goes out and coordinates handoff of samples into the transport conditions. So is it ice? Is it room temperature? Is it dry ice? What's the handoff at this point? And then for things like single cell, we offer, we do a viability and and cell count at no cost to the client. So let's test as many conditions as you can to make sure your samples arrive in our facility happy. For things like Visium, we'll do, if we're doing sectioning, we'll do RNA quality control assessment on the blocks. We'll do test H&E stains to make sure that what they have in their cryo molds are that we've sectioned is what they intended to interrogate. And so there's a lot of upfront, you know, trying to prepare the client. The the concept of single cell and, and spatial transcriptomics is very popular, but there's a lot of nuances that needs to go into how you set up your project. And so there's a lot of education that we do on our side. Oh, that's fantastic. And then ultimately, hopefully, conditions get worked out and then we actually do a project and we can take it all the way through to the end. One of the things that I've always admired about your your group is that you've been able to implement new technologies very quickly. And just a quick story, I remember getting an email about running the first multi-ohm samples. You were actually doing a run in the lab, and that's actually how I found out that we were shipping multi-ohm already, because you already were processing samples in your lab. How have you been so effective at being able to implement these new technologies so quickly and adopt them and even get interest from your customers to actually run these new technologies? So we have found a really good group of technicians 
that are willing to give things a try. At the end of the day, science is it's going to work sometimes, it's not going to work sometimes. And so you have to be willing to give things a try. From my perspective, I took over the facility in December 2018, and not a single cell was just kind of starting to come online. Trans facial transcriptomics really wasn't anything that was happening at that point. But I came in and said, okay, let's do it. Let's just give it a shot. And so I, myself, I have an assistant director, Judy Op. We don't hesitate to, to give something a go. And we have some technicians, some very senior level technicians that are willing to, to, to kind of test and, and, and run. And we typically don't delay too much from a product launch to us actually running something in-house and testing it. As far as the investigators, it, the University of Michigan, they're fantastic as far as wanting to push the envelope, wanting to know what's next, what what can they do. We found that cost doesn't seem to drive them so much as can the assays answer their questions. And again, realizing that maybe it doesn't go as smoothly the first time around as it could, but being able to persevere and keep going. We do a lot of outreach. Before before the pandemic, it was definitely, we hosted like in-person webinars and workshops every couple of months. Virtually, we're trying to do the same thing. It's typically one or two events a month at this point, and we can get really good attendance. We have a fantastic marketing team, internal marketing team, that'll help blast announcements to not just reach our customer base, but platform is applicable to another group on campus, specifically a department or a center. We'll make sure we cross-promote and really try to get you know information out to the university as a whole, that these things are here, that we can do them, and that come talk to us. And we, I spend the bulk of my time every week talking to clients, really. We hold office hours multiple times a week. And so that's, it's outreach, honestly, and education. So it sounds like a, a lot of the interaction is about allowing the customer to understand what can be done, what the potential risks are, but also sometimes that risk comes with reward as long as you understand what those are clearly. And I remember early on when you were working with Visium, you've already mentioned having you skin was definitely one of the tissue types that we said may not work quite as well as we had hoped. And you had reached out and said, look, we're, we're running skin. And so this was a, a, a new customer for Visium and you were trying something that was a, a relatively new technology still in the lab. So, you know, can you tell me, how do you go about addressing these are the risks, but as long as we really think this out clearly, we can mitigate some of those risks and go about and test something that might be a little bit more challenging it's it's being transparent it's it with the client it's making sure that not just the person that you're talking to whether it's a student postdoc staff scientist but the pi as well is aware that, that this is what's going on that there are some risks and that and to some extent they're they're pushing the limit right so like you mentioned our skin pre projects. They did. They pushed the limit. And, and it was one of the very first samples that we took. And But it, we got it to work. You know? And so it was, again, extra optimizations and being willing to work with us, but making sure that they understand what those limitations would be and that we can't, you know, it, it absolutely may not work. It, but if it does, then you've, you've actually gone pretty far in this process and helped actually others in the field continue forward. I will also add on that, you know, once you have those early adopters of something, they tend to be your like spokesperson. And so that gets you even more labs recruitment 
into your facility. So all of a sudden you've worked and you've spent a little extra time on the core facilities part as well as the client's part to get something going, but then they're going to share that information. And so within their department, across departments, universities sometimes, and then all of a sudden we're seeing even more people come on and we're just basically honing our skills at this point. But it is research at the end of the day and it it may not work. And just because we're a, a core facility doesn't mean that we have a an absolute solution that's going to give you the answer that the first time out. You know what that music means? It's time for Little Gems. For today's segment, we want to tell you how you can find out more about 10X Genomics service providers. To find a certified service provider, go to 10xgenomics.com and mouse over the word products on the top. You'll see all of our solutions plus a link called Find a Service Provider. Here you'll find a searchable list of certified service providers, filterable by region and type of service they offer, and a link to their website. To find a core lab or member of our Visium Enablement Program member lab near you, you can contact your 10X Genomics salesperson for help. If you don't know how to reach them, go to 10xgenomics.com forward slash contact. We have an added bonus little gem for you in preparation for our next episode that goes beyond the genome in a discussion on epigenetics. We interviewed Dr. Matthew Lupien of the Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Toronto, who studies the epigenetics of cancer. If you'd like a primer, I recommend checking out our blog post on the 10X Genomics website about the recent multiomics symposium. To find it, just go to 10xgenomics.com forward slash gem4, that's G-E-M-4. Does your core ever support clinical trials? We cannot. So we're for research only, okay? But we do work with clinical correlative studies. So I've done correlative studies. So this would be clinical trials that have a, a research component that's not really built into their normal, like the actual trial itself, but it has a research component that allows primary samples, aliquots of that to be used for something else. And so we do work with clinical correlative studies in, in that aspect. But yes, we're not, we're for research only. So we're limited in what we can do. Sounds good. All right. As we're getting toward the, the end of our time here, I'd like to just finish up a little bit talking about how do you support. So, you know, the other side of it from the wet lab, of course, is dealing with the data. And how does your core take on that challenge of getting the data to the customer? And how do you deliver those results to customers and then maybe consult on the analysis? Or do you partner with somebody on that? So we have... I have three full-time bioinformaticians that are responsible for all the, the data generation that we do, demultiplexing, any sort of pipelines that we run. We are not a bioinformatics core, but at the same time, for applications that have what we call built-in solutions, so Visium and, and the single-cell applications, we will run those pipelines. So we'll run Cell Ranger, we'll run Arc, we'll run Space Ranger. And then we tend to, we deliver all that data. So it's a lot of data 
to the clients. We have broken a lot of people's storage systems over the, the last 18 months or so, right? As, as data keeps getting bigger and bigger, those multi-owned samples, man, those can get really large when it comes to data. But so we they provide all the data from raw FASCU files through things like the summary reports and the count matrices or the loop files with the warning to the customer that you need all of it. Ultimately, you want to publish this, you're going to need to save it all safely. But these are the files that you're going to want to look at first. And they typically are the summary files, the loop files. If we have found anything in those summary reports that we think is atypical or things that could be improved upon, with additional sequencing depth, for example, or if there's something that tells us that we should probably look at your tissue prep or your single cell processing to try to improve viability in the future, or we, we try to put those warnings out when we actually deliver the data and basically saying, come talk to us, come talk to us. We have some suggestions, or at times we will bring them to tech support at 10X and say, this is something that we're not familiar with, this particular tissue or cell type. Let's try to bring in some more people that might've seen this at other places. And then as far as actually working with the data, that's complicated. So we do offer things like workshops on camp. We have one coming up in June where we try to work with people to help them help themselves a little bit, which is we're giving you data in a form that you could actually start looking at. You can look at your favorite genes. You could look at your favorite structure in your, in your tissue and, and really start playing with the data. But there's this sort of hesitancy a little bit. A lot of these labs have not looked at genomic data before. So this is a new area. And so we will sit there, we do these workshops. We'll do one-on-one -on -one walkthroughs actually with customers too, where we will turn around and look at the summary reports. We'll look at, we'll pull something up in Loop Browser, et cetera, and make sure they're comfortable with it. That's typically not sufficient for your final publication for a lot of our customers. And there's additional support on campus. There's multiple bioinformatics, you know, cores, there's associated with the cancer center with a standard core there's bioinformatics departments right so there's a lot of places on campus they can go for additional help but at the same time we want to make sure we're providing them with enough support to get them to the point where they can look at the data that we've just generated and we've spent a lot of time and effort in planning these experiments and the cost of getting their samples and getting them processed and getting them sequenced but give them the ability to actually look immediately right and start playing with the data because i haven't found a one-shot solution for data analysis for any of these platforms. It needs, it's iterative. You're going to go through it lots of times. And at the end of the day, the biology is so important and that is your client, right? And so they are the experts of that biology. And so whatever they do for their the rest of their downstream analysis, they need to get familiar with the data so they can start guiding that process when they start having those downstream conversations. So it's a lot, again, a lot of education at the end of the day. This has been fantastic. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish up by asking you one question. So, Liv, you've always kept on top of what's coming out, what's new. So, uh, I know that you've seen experience and talked mm -hmm. to the SEs and myself. What thing that's coming down the pipe from 10x Genomics are you most excited about? Just one. Doesn't have to be. Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Excited. Multiple ones. From a single cell perspective, fixed cells. I really think fixed cells can change the ball game when it comes to some of what we do for single cell. Fragile cells are a problem. Also, like I said, we take things by way of the OR and sometimes the OR gets backed up. And so then we're getting samples at eight o'clock at night. And that's something that we're really not designed to, to, to really 
support. So this actually frees up a, a lot when it comes to what we can accept, I think. And then we also can start shipping samples around. And so some of those universities that want to use us because we are well-established in this field that are a little further out, don't have to try to drive really quickly to get to us. It makes it easier to pass things around. So from a single cell perspective, I really think fixed cells is going to be a game changer. For Visium, people want FFPE, which we're working on. We'll be ready to go. We'll probably have some of the, the earliest data that you see from that particular platform. There, I think being able to maybe add in feature barcoding to, to the Visium is, is going to add another layer of multimodality. That's going to be really cool. The side assist to be able to take FFPE slides. And then at the end of the day, higher resolution for Visium higher resolution so that hd slide is going to be key so the, and these are questions that get asked all the time right and these are they're, they're constantly flooding in can i do fixed cells can i get closer to single cell resolution can i add in more proteins all that stuff is, are questions i field weekly I, for one, can't wait to see what you and your customers do with all of these new things. I, I know that the first Visium HD data is going to be amazing. I can't wait to see it. Thank you very much, Liv. We've been talking to Dr. Olivia Cuse, the Managing Director of the Advanced Genomics Corps at the University of Michigan. Thank you very much for joining us today, Liv. We really appreciate it. We can't wait to see what comes next. Thank you for having me. You can find more episodes of Cell Intel Podcast at 10xgenomics.com forward slash cell dash intel. Subscribe if you want to be notified about new episodes, have the opportunity to give some feedback, or participate in polling questions or trivia contests for a chance to win a goodie and have your name, institution, and research area mentioned on the air. If you liked our podcast, your friends probably will too, so let them know about us. Thank you for listening and keep seeking out the possibilities. Mm -hmm.